0: Welcome to the Out of Context Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Ben Freeman here with Jimmy Doyle, and we thought we'd tackle the subject of work and rest today and talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about those things. Uh, It's going to be a good time. Thanks for being here, and let's dive in.
1: All right, Ben. This is a question I used to ask my students who were seniors in high school. Okay,
0: okay. I'm a. I'm a little beyond that. Just, You're a little beyond that. Just by a couple of years, then.
1: And, um, you know, so I expect a lot more. <laughs> I expect a lot more.
0: <laughs> no pressure.
1: Ben, why are you here? Wow. Wow. Um, existentially, or how do you mean that? You, this is ex- what's amazing is I did this for like. Eight years and it's the same process and it's happening with you too. (laughs) You tell me, Ben, you tell me, you can start where you want to start. I mean, you could even say, why am I doing this podcast? I mean, I, yeah,
0: that got really deep, really fast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm kind of stumped. Well, I, okay. Why am I here? I think, I think I'm here to make the world a better place. Um, and I think I can do that through things that I learned by following the teachings of Jesus. So by trying to imitate who Jesus was and what Jesus did, um, I'm, I, I hopefully alleviate suffering and leave the world in a better place than where I found it when, when I came into it.
1: God, that's really good. That's a lot better than seniors in high school. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm going to give you a hundred percent on that yes. one. A plus. Yeah. Love it. I think it's one of those things we don't think about very often, you know, Uh, because it is an existential question. It is deep. When I was asking the students those questions, uh, they would be frustrated with me. You know, what do you mean, Mr. Doyle? I'd be like, well, why are you here? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, why are we here in this class? I said, sure, let's start there. Why are you in this (laughs) class? And so it would go to, uh, you know, and this is a student's frame of mind, but I think that a lot of adults feel this way, too where they they don't feel in control of their own existence. Yeah. And so, you know, <clears throat> yeah, so why are you in this class? Well, because I have to be. Mm-hmm. Because I have to be in school. Oh, you have to be in school. So, you, so would you rather be doing something else? Yeah, I'd rather be doing something else. And then it would inevitably lead to this kind of like goals in life question. So if, you know, I'd say, uh, so if you weren't forced to go to school, would you go to school? Well, you got to go to school. Because if you don't go to school, if you don't go to school, what? Well, if you don't go to school, you can't get into a good college. I say, oh, so you're here to go to a good, your goal in life is to go to a good college. Well, no, that's not it. (laughs) Okay, well, why do you want to go to a good college? Well, you want to be able to get a good job. I'm like, okay. So that's your goal. You want to have a good job someday? No, 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 that's not the goal. And he Inevitably, it would get to this place where most of the students would be like, no, you want to get a good job so that you can make good money. I was like, oh, so that's it. You want to have a lot of money. That's the goal. Well, no, no, it's not that. And it would typically get to a place where it was like, you want to have money so you can do what you want to do. Mm, Yeah. And I'd say, so you can't do what you want Mm. to do right now. You know, I'd be be like, that's kind of sad. You're going to spend (laughs) most of your life pursuing this thing And in the meantime, you can't do what you want to do. Um, And that, but I would ask them, I was like, so money, that's what, that's your goal. So you can do what you want to do. Why? Why? And they were a lot of times very frustrated by the time we got to the end of this process. But this one girl, one time the student says, so we can be happy. And I said, so you're not happy? (laughs) <laughs> and then like, She's like, I didn't say that. I was like, well, I'm just asking because it sounds like you're trying to get to this goal of happiness that you don't have right now because mm-hmm. you have to be in school, because you have to go to college, because you have to get a job to make the money. Your goal some is to be happy before you die. That's the way it sounded. And, you know, no, no, no. I'm, I know. We have happiness. And I said, well, if you're happy now, then why go through the process? Right. You know, but... <clears throat> You know, and that's kind of a tricky thing for a high school teacher to do when he's dealing with uh, religion classes with students. But I think, you know, from a biblical perspective, this question of, do we have a purpose here? And um, different philosophical views on that. Some would say that you have this. Um, meaning before you're born, that it's somehow given to you, imbued to you, whether it be divinely or some higher thing in the cosmos. And then, uh, you know, the existentialist would say that uh, existence precedes essence, that you basically, you're born and you don't have a purpose. And your thing in life is to, if you have a purpose, it's because you decide to have a purpose. Yeah. Which... To me, there's kind of both sides of that element. Like I like the responsibility of the existentialists, that that somehow I, the decision to have purpose and meaning in my life is somehow, it is a decision and a responsibility.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: But on the other side, you know, I'm coming from a Christian perspective. I have this kind of meta-narrative where I believe that, that there's meaning that exists whether we recognize it or not. that human existence have a mean, has a meaning whether we see it or choose it. Uh, so, you know, <clears throat> in the previous two episodes we've talked about a lot of things but how to interpret Scripture. We've talked about uh, kind of our theological histories and such. And, you know, you and I have had com- conversations about rest and the other things. And I thought it might be good to talk about does God have a plan? Is there a pre-existent plan? What yeah. would that be? And, um, uh, How we can kind of come out of all of that, out of that context. So hopefully it'll be good. I think (laughs) it's good. When you think about so another question. When you think about what God wants for you. So the question is why are you here? If I ask it this way, why do you think God put you here? Would those two mm. answers be the same? Um
0: I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think my why for being here is informed by my understanding of why God placed me here. Um you know, as I said, I I want to make the world a better place by imitating the life of Jesus alleviating suffering etc and i th- I think yeah I think that's why God put me here yeah to do those things
1: I liked your answer I think those things too I mean I think they do line up uh, <clears throat> was it always that way for you like uh, since you came out of a Christian home environment yeah how has your understanding of your meaning or purpose or what God wants from you? How's it shifted? Have there been moments, yeah. big moments of shifts in that or has it been pretty consistent or how does that look?
0: There have been big moments and consistent little moments of shift um, <clears throat> throughout my life of following Jesus. I think, um, I think early on growing up in a, in a Christian home, my view of, of my purpose and and why I'm here on this earth was different than what it is now. Right. So it was back then, I probably would have said it differently. Like my, my reason for being here is to, um, tell as many people about the good news of Jesus as possible to sort of rob hell of as many souls as I possibly can.
1: Um, so was your existence here mm -hmm. based upon, uh, the idea and we've talked about this before like the idea that salvation was about the next world and not about this world.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. I think that's a good way to say it. And so I and that's not to say that that um that I don't share my faith these days or or that I value that less, but I th- I think the goal or the aim was different back then. It, it was sort of a um you know, I I've, I've got to tell as many people as possible to rescue as many Souls from the grip of hell as possible, and then move on to the next one, kind of right. thing, you know. So, right. it had less to do with easing suffering in this present world and more to do with, um, sort of tallying another mark for Jesus,
1: yeah, and escaping suffering in some way, right? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, you don't think so much about feeding hungry people or taking care of people as much as. Make sure that they're right with Jesus, exactly, so that when they die, they don't experience real eternal suffering.
0: Right. So the focus wasn't on this present world; the focus was on the next world, and making sure as many people as possible were in the right position to be in um, in the presence of God in the next world.
1: So, what about a, a big? religious Christian word. What about discipleship? Like, what does that look like? Like, what are you? So you're learning, you know, and I remember these moments like where you're the pressure to share Jesus with someone in such a way that they come to faith in Jesus, that they experience transformation. But there is also this in this present world, even with my view being with the focus of that being this idea of eternal life. There was this expectation that somehow once you receive Jesus, there is a transformation that takes place in this life. Mm. Yeah. Um, That was an expectation that it was kind of hard to dance around, right? Like God loves you no matter what you do. Uh, If you accept Jesus, you can be saved no matter what you do. But he also wants to change you. Now, well, how did, you know, and then we got into questions about works or not, right. like works, the phrase be works righteousness. How did, like, did you wrestle with those kinds of questions?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And in, in the context in which I grew up, it, it, discipleship was um, uh, almost as important as your salvation. So those next steps of, you know, we might have said, Use the phrase "going deeper in the Word." Um, yeah. You know, so bi- scripture, stu- scripture study, Bible <clears throat> study, all of that kind of stuff was was very important. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the scripture: "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." Like we took that very literally that that if you didn't continue on this path of going deeper, you were actually in danger of lose, losing your salvation because you weren't working it out with fear and trembling. And so. I didn't come from a context of once saved, always saved. It was like, yeah, you got saved, but if you don't keep doing the right yeah. things and moving deeper in your faith, you it just might slip out of your grasp and you may not even realize it.
1: Yeah. It seems like uh, Calvinistic views of salvation have become more popular in the last 10 years or so yeah. than they were when you or I were mm-hmm. younger. Yeah. Uh, although I do remember having a conversation with a Baptist friend of mine when I was in high school. Who, from my Wesleyan perspective, that were your uh your sanctification, your holiness mattered, uh, your holiness being right behavior. Uh, in my, you know, 17-year-old uh righteousness uh looking at my friend, I was I thought he was in danger of hell, right? Because he's living however he wants. He's right. engaging in all kinds of behavior that were contrary to uh morals or ethics. And so I'm trying to share Jesus with him even though he goes to the Baptist church. Yeah. And he just says it to me. He's like, "Man, he goes, I got saved when I was a kid." He goes, "It doesn't matter what I do now." And mm. I said, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, because it's once saved always saved because I accepted Jesus, I can do whatever I want to and I don't have to worry about going to hell someday." Yeah. And for me coming from my perspective, I I thought, "Well, how does that even work?" Like You can do whatever you want. That doesn't seem right. But that's a pretty common belief these days. Yeah. But first of all, you don't make the decision that would be part of that Calvinist thing. Right. Uh, And the other part is, if you're saved, you're saved. And if you're not, you're not. And it's really not in your hands at all. Yeah. So this is where we lose... All of the Calvinist listeners. uh, (laughs) Sorry, guys. Sorry. But, I mean, I think there is an appeal to that. I understand that appeal. And I think there's a truth to it, right? That somehow I can't do anything uh, Mm. to work out my salvation. Yeah. Um, But with that Calvinist thing, there's also a really low view of humanity. Right. Um, Total depravity. Total depravity. So Martin Luther, when he's writing to Erasmus in The Bondage of the Will, uh, he's making the case. They're going back and forth in this debate. He's Luther is making the case uh, for election, that humans don't make that choice for salvation. And he says to Erasmus, he says, uh, are we slaves to sin or not? And he says, we're either slaves to sin, according to Scripture, or we're slaves to Christ. And the thing about a slave is a slave can't choose. And he may, it's kind mm. of a brilliant case. Like, okay, if I'm really a slave to sin and I can't free myself, right? I have to be freed from that by someone else, uh, which is Jesus coming in and purchasing us, basically, freeing us. Uh, and then if I'm a slave to Christ, really, I, there's kind of a non-option there. And so Luther yeah. makes his case for election. Uh, Erasmus is arguing against that, but uh, that's kind of the basis, even though Calvin picks up Luther and that becomes the basis for that kind of election idea. Um, but I think. I mean, I think people want meaning in this world. Yeah, uh, I think that we pursue meaning in really unhealthy ways. Yep. Um. So, why are we here? What does the Bible say about why that? Why we're here? What is the biblical context? Mm. Um, Genesis chapter one. Okay. God creates humanity, and the scripture says that God creates human beings in his own image and likeness. And we mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts that in the ancient Near Eastern context, coming out of that context, that that made sense to them in a way that probably doesn't make sense to a lot of us today. Because um, when you talk about a God creating someone (laughs) in their image— Usually the picture is, is that this god is the supreme king. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the essence of a god, the very nature of a god. Uh, gods set up idols in their image right, to represent their, wherever uh, an image of a god is. That shows that that god controls that territory. Mm. Like We know that boundary markers were even put in place that had images of gods. And then ancient kings... Uh, often took upon this kind of title um, of representing themselves as the image of God, as yeah. the sons of God in some way. And when they would go and conquer, they would often do this dual thing, where they would put an image of the god or gods that they worship, usually the image of the supreme god that they worshipped, the king of the gods, and then an image of themselves. Yeah and they would destroy the images of the other gods and they would put these warnings. I've put this image of the god so-and-so up. I've also put my own image up because I've conquered this territory. Anyone who defiles this image, I will destroy and I will kill. And so when a king or a god creates something in his or her likeness and places it somewhere, it's basically a statement. I've conquered this Hmm. and I own it. It's to be a representation of their power and their authority, and their kingdom. This is the extent of my kingdom. Wherever these boundary markers with these images are, and the t- these temples that I put in place, that's that's the place that I rule. And breaking those images is a sign of the of the broken, defeated rule of that king. Right. So, uh, so from the very get go, you had this thing where God is saying, I want human beings to be in the world to be my representation here. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about like Adam and Eve are disobedient. They're discontent in the garden. They choose to pursue that image in a, of God in themselves in a broken fashion. And then the rest of the Bible story is kind of God's dogged pursuit to restore things back to the mm. way that it was. So, you know, your thing about, I want to be like Jesus in the new Testament, as God is reconciling things, we see this thing happen over and over where Jesus is referred to as the image and the likeness of God. Right. So Jesus is the fix to the problem for humanity. He comes in the likeness. Paul does this great thing in Romans where he comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. Yeah. So he uses that word likeness. But then he does this thing where it's like, but he's really the image of God. And Paul does this thing that he's pulling out of Jewish culture where uh, the word glory <clears throat> uh, can mean honor or power or strength. But in Jewish mystical texts, especially, like pulling stuff out of Ezekiel, where uh, you have these these visions of God in the heavens, they see God's throne, they see his chariot, the Merkava. And in Ezekiel, he says, I saw above the throne uh, the likeness of a man. And then in the next, you know, two verses later, he says, and I saw God's glory. And so in Jewish mystical texts, this idea that God's glory is also somehow tied to this likeness of humanity. And you see the same thing kind of going on in Daniel, where it's kind of affirmed. I saw one who is like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. And I think Paul is pulling on some of that stuff in his writings in the New Testament, where you see in in Romans chapter 1, he says, uh, in terms of this kind of glory and likeness thing, he says, they exchanged the glory of God Mm -hmm. to worship the likeness of created things. Yeah. And it has this implication that when we reject this glory, this image of God, that it leads to all the brokenness that humanity experiences. Yeah. And so um, he goes on to say in several places, and it kind of depends on how it gets translated. Um, there's a Greek word that is uh, could be to or into. And so we are saved to his glory mm-hmm. is the way it usually gets translated. But it could also be we have been saved or invited into his glory. And mm-hmm. Paul talks about how God is restoring us to be made. Jesus is the likeness of God, and he's restoring us to be made into the likeness of Christ. Yeah, And when you see it, it's all through. So you're going to see it in Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, where Paul is saying this thing over and over, be like God and be like Jesus. Uh, so, in Ephesians and Colossians, he uses the analogy of taking off dirty clothes, right, take off your old self, put on the new self made to be like your creator, yeah, uh, in the way that in love and the way that Jesus loved, and that type of thing. So that kind of fits your you know why are you here? Yeah, it's to be like Jesus.
0: so I gave the right answer is what you're saying.
1: Ben is the best <laughs> student I have ever had. If any former students are listening, and I know that there's at least one. If you'd have been more like Ben, who knows? You might have got a better grade. In yes. Yeah.
0: I would not have given that same answer when I was 17, but <clears throat>
1: I'm glad I got it right <laughs> But today. But what's the problem with all that, Ben? Yeah. Like I'm saying to you, hey, you're supposed to be mm, like Jesus. Right. Is yeah. there a kink in that?
0: Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind, as you were talking about stepping into that glory that Paul is calling us into— What does that mean? How do I do that? Yeah. What does that look like?
1: I was hoping you would give us the answers to that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good question. What does that look like? And I mean, what if going back to the garden, Adam and Eve, the man and woman, they had a wrong image, apparently, Mm. of what the glory of God looked like. Right. And they did exchange the glory of God for something else. Yeah. Like what if we're just not what if we really don't whatever god had planned for us or has planned for us what if we really just don't want it Mm. in some ways or are incapable of seeing it or maybe we think it's more than what it i've wondered maybe we think it's more than what it is yeah Uh, we want something more than the life that we have yeah we are discontented creatures which we've talked about before my Having worked as a, a youth pastor and a teacher and having children of my own, it's amazing how discontentment is a part of the human experience yep. way early. Yeah. Um, and it gets to some really dark places in terms of everyday dark places where uh, girls look in the mirror and they just want to be someone else. Yeah. They wanna look like someone else. They wanna have a different body than they do. They want different relationships and that discontentment. Yeah. And guys, I think, do the same thing. And it's not just children, it's not just students, it's adults. Yeah. We keep pursuing these, we're always hungering for something other than what we have. And maybe that's the real brokenness uh, that we have. But your question is: Is what is that glory, and how do we enter into it? Uh, is it simple enough just to say? It, is it too simplistic to say we just need to look at Jesus?
0: I don't think that's too simplistic. Um, I think, I think for people who call themselves Christians, followers of Christ, a lot of times we overcomplicate it. Um, you know, we want to we want to exegete philemon or oh, yeah. whatever and right. we get lost in the minutiae of uncovering some cool new um hidden truth or meaning at the expense of living like Jesus.
1: Yeah. Or I think I think my problem is I've always wanted to do something great. Mm, yeah. Right? Like that somehow I'm supposed to do something really big. And not yet having done that. Yeah. And so it's this lingering sense of unfulfillment. Yeah. I'm a lot like those students who say, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this so that I can be happy someday. Yeah. Um, when what if happiness is right in front of me? Yeah. What if the glory of God, me being in the image of God, is possible right here, right now? Yeah. Um, but I think some of our theologies are just like, the kid that looks in the mirror who can't like themselves. Mm -hmm. Because if you have this view of humanity that says, well, that's just not possible. Human beings on this side of death, human beings are just kind of worthless. And the only worth that we have is the fact that God, by his infinite grace, has given us some kind of worth that we as mere worms don't deserve. (laughs) Right? right. Uh, Or this notion, uh, you hear this, you know, we say this a lot. Well, what do you expect? You know, I'm only human. Right. As if there's just some basic flaw in mm. being human that has not been corrected yet. Mm. Um, but what if the incarnation? What if the idea of God entering into, be in the likeness of sinful flesh, yeah. taking on the image of humanity? What if it's God's affirmation that humanity is actually a good thing? <laughs> right. Yeah, if we didn't lose all the Calvinists before now, <laughs> we've lost them.
0: Now. You made a pretty good argument for total depravity about two minutes ago, though, so I, it, we we might have a few hanging on.
1: Well, I, I'm going to put it this way: like uh, total tragedy. Mm. What is it? I mean, wouldn't it be? Isn't it tragic? I'll tell you what's tragic. Um, to just to make this personal, and hopefully they don't get upset with me for this: like talking about the girls looking in the mirror and not liking. I'm talking about my daughters. Yeah. I'm talking about my wife. Yeah. I'm talking about myself. Yeah. But for me, it's easy to see my daughters, who I think are just beautiful and incredible and gifted and talented, and I just want them to be okay with themselves. Yeah. When they look in the mirror and they can't be okay with themselves, uh, I don't think of that in terms of depravity. Like, well, look at these sinners right. not being able to, God, you know, get it together. I think, man, I wish they wouldn't miss how great they actually mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Um. What if God is kind of saying to us, look, the reason you have all these problems and you're not kind of lining up with what I intended for you is because you really don't realize how great you already are. Wow. What's the problem with that? Tell me where I'm wrong, Ben. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't find anything wrong in that. That's, it sounds that's great. great. Now
1: I'll be on Oprah's book club because <laughs> I <clears throat> have to write a book first, I guess. But I think, I really think that We miss an element of Scripture that's there from the very beginning. It's throughout the Scripture. It's not in denial of our brokenness. What makes our brokenness so bad is how great we really potentially are. So when human beings are building the Tower of Babel, and there's this comic scene where God has to come down to see this tower that they're building, and he's kind of assessing everything, he makes this statement you know, if they put their minds to it, they come together to do something. Nothing that they want to do will be impossible for them. Yeah. And he's talking about sinful people, broken people. Mm-hmm. And God's view of humanity seems to be extremely high. Yeah. And when I think about things that we're doing today, like with DNA yeah. and the things that we're we're going to be able to solve problems that have diseases that have plagued humanity our entire existence we're going to solve through science. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible. We're breaking apart the codes of life. Yeah. And to me that kind of lines up with how fantastic we can be now. It could go off into these potentials, some right. dark directions because if you get people who are discontent
0: mm-hmm. with
1: who they're meant to be in God's image, it can turn into things where they keep they continue to try to pursue things with that. But Um, if we're made to be like Jesus, then, and God really embraces humanity and God really, according to Colossians, took pleasure to be in Jesus in this world, then maybe there's an element of whatever happens in the next life, I get to experience what God intended for me in this life. Yeah. And that can be full of wholeness and brokenness that, um... Maybe I need to learn to be kind of content in some things. So when you go back to the story of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, the kind of the beginning of the story of humanity, God creates Adam in his image, humanity in God's image to be like Adam. That image is pursued wrongly. God doesn't let what's, you know, we talked about this, I think, in episode one or two, like even after they're disobedient, It's not like, well, God God doesn't go, well, they really messed it up and now the image is completely gone. Right. He says, actually, now they're, yeah, now they're more like us. Like even in our brokenness, somehow God has made it that we become more like God. He seems to have this attachment to this goal that our very nature is to be like him. But he puts Adam in the garden. To work and to rest. Yeah. And I think if we're going to look at what it means to be in the image of God, then it must be this thing where we have this balance of work and rest. Yeah. Um, which I think can put into place this idea of, okay, once you once you kind of have received Jesus, you understand that Jesus is the correction to the broken image of God, and you begin to model your life, then there's this, I think it makes sense of works. Like, how does good works fit into the Christian life? What are, is it just something that we do until we die just because, or is it something else? And I think it could be that when we're engaging in good works, that's us being what God created us to be. Yeah. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you know, we're not saved by works, um, and we can't fathom all the wonderful things that God's going to pour out on us, even now and on into the future, into eternity. It's by his grace that we've been saved, not by works, so that nobody can brag about it. Right. But then he tags on this little thing to make—it's good that he tags this on because he says, but we were created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works that God planned beforehand that we would do. Yeah. Um, And the word for like, we are God's workmanship, we are his poema, um, which is like a— a work of craft or a work of art. It's where we ultimately get our word for poem. Right. Didn't mean that then, but um, God meant for us to be engaged in lives of doing good things. Uh, and then we see in Acts chapter 10, that Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. So God's revelatory life-giving power part. He was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. And he went around doing good and setting people free from the works of the devil. So, I think the kind of life that I'm supposed to be experiencing here is this thing where God is speaking to me. I'm looking at the model of Jesus, who was apparently content to live most of his life up in Galilee in obscurity. Yeah. Which is a pretty significant <laughs> thing,
0: right? Like yeah.
1: um, and to die a shameful death and give his life. He didn't come in and conquer. He didn't. The truth is that Jesus didn't do any great thing. You know, he did miracles, but as far as like if it hadn't been for the resurrection and the proclamation of his life afterwards, we probably wouldn't even know who Jesus was. So maybe my life is meant to be in this kind of contentment, listening to God's voice and doing, going around doing good works and setting people free from things, Uh, which doesn't feel like work. It actually feels like kind of a relief. It does.
0: And I think there's an important distinction there that, I think we miss it a lot of times when we think about that passage of scripture because I've I've heard it talked about quite a bit that, you know, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. And it's easy to get caught up in this mindset that I have to do works in order to be most fully accepted by God or oh, yeah. more fully loved by God. Yeah. And I'm thinking of even even on social media recently, I, I follow some people who are in various stages of deconstruction of their faith. And there was this there was this whole thread um this back and forth about this person talking about how confused they were that um, their salvation didn't come by works, but if they didn't do works, then they felt like they weren't saved and but but I think the distinction that we need to remember it, and what I'm hearing you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that by doing the works that God has created for us to do, we become more fully human. Yeah. So our experience here becomes more full, more fulfilling, more enjoyable, more creative, and.
1: Uh, to use the term what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is a not a real non existentialist way to, to right. say that, because it, there's this notion in the scripture that we are supposed to be some way, and that can be put on us in some kind of moral obligation sense. Like if I'm not that way, then that does mean that God doesn't really like me. Right. He has to like me because he's God, but he doesn't really like me. And um, and it and my my eternal self is in danger because of those things. I mean, you can put it that way, yeah. this pre-existing notion. But it could also be that God, we mentioned this in an earlier episode. God is still creating us to be yeah. in his image. Um that I'm on this journey that really God is kind of, we're on this journey where, you know, the New Testament says that we are co-workers with God. Mm-hmm. What an amazing idea. Yeah. That somehow I'm participating with God in this restoration, not only of creation outside of me, but this restoration of myself into the image and glory of God. Um, and again, it's this high view of humanity where God enters in and says, man, I, I'm committed to this thing. Are you committed to this thing? Yeah. And in the moments that you're not committed, God says, I'm okay, I'm in this for the long haul. Um, you know, the scripture doesn't say much about the afterlife and the things that it does say are kind of confusing. Right. But what I, I like C.S. Lewis's picture in the great divorce, where after we die, this development continues on. We mm. continue to be, you know, in Paul's words, from glory to glory. Yeah. Uh, growing in this image of God, this transformation that's going on. So this stage of the journey uh, is one stage and then another stage is going to start. And apparently it's going to be way better um, in some ways. But um, yeah, what if it's not an end goal thing that I'm after? Mm. What if it's in this moment, how is God transforming me to be in his image and to experience what we're going to use this word glory that he has for us? Um, that I don't have to wait for something. And when I'm sharing Jesus with people, it's not so that when they die, they go to heaven. Yeah. It's, hey, you're looking for meaning in life? Here's a meaning that I can say that for me has had value, that I believe that God wants it to look uniquely like Jesus in you. Yeah. And you can start now. Yeah. Um, and you get to experience this transformation, in, you know, the kind of at the rate that you want, being pushed on by the Holy Spirit forward and backwards in that yeah. you know um at different times i feel like i'm more in line with that image than not right um but i don't think that god wants us to feel in guilt i mean if the good news of jesus is really good news and it's not like well I, now i've got saved got, i'm saved now which means that when i die i don't have to experience hell or death or whatever that is mm-hmm. but really i like, If I don't do the right things, I'm just going to feel like crap about myself. The same way I did before I got saved, but I'm going to talk like I don't experience that
0: anymore. Right. That just doesn't sound very right. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, faking it, I don't think is the way. Um, But it does probably mean that I need to be, you know, uh, that question of of that regular question of, God, what do you want to transform in me? Yeah. What do you want to change? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. Why are you here, Ben? <laughs>
0: <laughs> to work.
1: <laughs> to work, to do good works. To do good works. Yeah. Which Jesus says, you know, do your good works. Uh, this, this this idea of glory mm. that's tied to that idea of the image of God. Do your good works before men that they may glorify your Father who is mm. in heaven. Somehow when I do a good work, it makes God's likeness known. Yeah. And again, not in this way where I have to do good works, but I I get to participate in this process where God is revealing Himself. Yeah. It's incredible. That's so good. Yeah. Partnership.
0: Yeah. I love it.
1: And so the other part of that, God put Adam in the garden. To take care of the garden, and to serve and protect it, and Jesus says, when He comes, and He's talking to His disciples, and they all want to, juxt- you know, they're all trying to hustle for position in the kingdom. Yeah. Can I sit at your right hand and your left? Can we have the top seats? And Jesus is like, No, that's not what we're about. Uh, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then go and become a waiter of tables. Yeah. You know, go become a diakonos, a servant. And He says, the world works this way, where everybody's hustling for position. That's the work of the world. You're always hustling for position, positioning yourself, um, self-interested work. And Jesus says, it's not that way with you. Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. And so there's this self, if we're going to be like God, there's this self. healthy way of being self-giving and serving where you don't lose your identity yeah your identity is still not in your self-giving and sacrifice it's mm. in this your identity is based in God uh, so work is different and Jesus says uh, if anybody would come after me uh, they must take up their cross which you know take up your means of execution which sounds like a <laughs> it's a pretty weighty <laughs> thing to say yeah but that same Jesus says, all of you who are weary and you're tired come to me because my burden is good and it's light. My yoke is light. Like there's this idea that even in the things that God calls us to, this self-giving, the servant thing, that it, it is less of a burden than the work of the world mm-hmm. and that there's rest, that work and rest aspect. Into what God planned for us, yeah. I think is there. Yeah.
0: I have a really hard time with the rest side of things.
1: You're a workaholic.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I am, and um, not even necessarily with you know the the thing I do that pays the bills, but I, I think there's this addiction to just. Always producing and being busy and being connected and um, having my phone in front of me so that I don't miss anything
1: that's going on in the world. Um, Which is an interesting thing to say. I yeah. mean, I, <laughs> I was just thinking uh, the first part of what you said, I was wondering like, do we work so hard in order to be distracted?
0: Mm,
1: and then you said the wow. thing about the phone in front of you because you want to have the phone so you don't miss the things that are happening in the world. And you get this picture of someone who's looking at their phone and missing all the things that yeah. are going on around them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a distraction from, well, from life and also from rest. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, rest is a hard one.
1: Why do you think that is? <clears throat> um,
0: I think some amount of it is is our culture in this day and time that we're Expected to always be producing, always working, mm-hmm. always available, always connected um and and there's also this aspect of competition and trying to outwork the neighbors so that we can keep up with mm-hmm. with what our neighbors are doing um, right
1: We mow the yard, put the grass in a bag to throw away, and then pay someone to come fertilize the yard. That the grass that would have fallen would have done naturally, <laughs> right? So because we want to make sure that things look, you know, even our even the things that look nice and restful take a lot of work, yeah, to get there, yeah, um, yeah, I under I I vibe with that, you know. We Ben and I had talked earlier, and uh, talking about rest is one of those things for me that feels like hypocrisy, mm. because I at this time in my life i when i when ben brought this up like can we talk about rest i thought no i can't <laughs> talk about rest because uh i feel like there was a time i was a pretty laid back person yeah but i'll bet that if you ask my family right now they'd be like no dad works all the time mm. which which i hate i hate that my family might see that reality in me yeah uh, so, what is it about me that even when I'm at home, in some way, I'm working? Right. Um, yeah. So, how are you going to fix that, Ben? I need you to come <sighs> up with a solution. <laughs> <laughs> well, the times
0: I've—I think the times I've experienced the greatest rest are when I'm somewhere where my phone doesn't work. Yeah. So, um, you know, my wife and I like to get away out in the nature, and so we might airbnb a cabin up in the mountains where there's no cell phone service and those are the times that i experience the greatest rest because i'm sort of forced to mm. unplug electronically and and it always takes my brain a couple days to slow down um i, I feel kind of kind of manic the first day or so you know that yeah. i'm that i'm untethered from the it device natural <laughs> it's so unnatural yeah it's yeah. so hard to um sort of slow down and and get into that mode of, of resting. Do you feel guilty? Yes. Resting. Yeah, I do. Like
1: guilty to whom? Like, is there a, is there a to whom or is it just um, like, ah, is it a general anxiety?
0: I both. And like, I, I feel I, I've always had this weird um, guilt when I go on vacation toward my coworkers, um, my, my entire adult working life. Like even when I worked hourly jobs in retail part-time if i if i had to take off a few days for something i felt bad that i was letting the company down or letting my Mm -hmm. coworkers down um i I feel like i'm letting my family down or myself down if i'm not producing because it almost feels like this is wasted time because i'm not creating wasted something right now um so yeah i i do feel
1: guilty i um I remember going on vacations and f- experiencing a couple of different things. Like um, one is this sense of, is everything taken care of? Mm. But if I'm not there, yeah, what might go wrong? Which speaks to me about my own uh, making myself too central yeah. to things, making me the center of whatever it is that's going to be happening while I'm gone, even while I'm gone that somehow it can't function without me. Yeah. Um, And then another part is a sense of just not having my crap together, right? So you take vacation and part of that wondering what's going to happen is I can navigate the crap that I didn't get done when I'm there, I can fix that. But when I'm not there, I can't fix it. So still self-focused, still yeah. making myself and my own capabilities uh, the center of things. And the rabbis said that uh, this is an ancient problem the rabbis said that basically uh, you know god's commandment to take a day of rest shows that we trust that God will keep the world moving without us mm, that's that we good. right that we he doesn't need us and the world doesn't need us to be doing something all the time yeah and God even rests so if we're going to be in the image of God uh, that, I don't know how that worked uh, you know i don't think that God really took a 24 day off, But there's this notion that God rested. He created something, and then he sat back. Yeah. And if God's able to do that, and I'm supposed to be like God, then I certainly should be able to do that. But the other part is, is for me to step back once a week, the Sabbath idea, and just go, no, it's all going to go on without me, and yeah. I'm going to
0: rest. That's good. I really resonate with that because I think, I think some amount of that guilt that I was describing comes from a place of thinking, like, how are they going to do it without me? Yeah, Right. And that's really, like you said, it's self-focused and um, and it's really thinking of myself way more
1: highly than I should. <laughs> right. Like, right. Things are going to be okay without me. Which is, maybe that's the problem. We actually, maybe there's a part of that, Ben, where we really don't want things to be okay Right. I think us. so. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need if, to be needed. What if it actually went better when I wasn't there? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. While you've been gone, things got better. Yeah, um, yeah. So we kind of make ourselves the center of that story. Um, but I think, you know, God has these commandments in the Old Testament, in the Scripture that are some of them were capital offenses, mm. and I don't understand all of them. I mean, you know, the Scripture says that if a if a son dishonors his mother and father that his mother and father should stone him to death. Yeah. I don't really know how that works. Uh, Something about that's really, I haven't got my mind around it, but it it says something to me about there are these things that God must take very seriously. Mm. And one of the Ten Commandments, the first of those 613, those first 10 of the 613 commandments, one of those is take a day off. Yeah. Which, wait, I was talking to a group of friends last night. What a great commandment that God would say, hey, once a week, rest. And hey, once, by the way, every seventh year, take the whole year off. Like our whole idea of a sabbatical comes out of the, the idea of scripture. And for us, we have this notion of, oh, people who take sabbaticals, what are you going to do in that year that you take off? Yeah. and And Boy, you must have a nice boss that would give you a a sabbatical. But in the Old Testament, we have this thing where God says, take a whole year off. Once a week, take a day off. Every seventh year and then every 50th year, 49th to 50th year, take another whole year off. Like these cycles of years being taken off. And, And what God says is, this is for everybody. Give you and your servants... And even your animals, and in those sabbatical years, the whole land gets to rest. Yeah. And so they don't ask this question, but God responds to the question that's in everybody's mind. If we take a whole year off in an agricultural society, where do we get the food to live on? Right. And God says, if you'll do this, I'll give you enough food to live on that you'll have enough food stored up in that seventh year. Just mm-hmm. trust me in this. Uh. It's a pretty amazing cycle in our produce work right. society where uh, in our social dynamics, there are people who are like, you know, people should work all the time and yeah. and we shouldn't give them any kind of breaks and that type yeah. of thing. Uh, the God of the Bible says, hey, for those of you who were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, one of the first things I'm going to say to you is take time off and rest. Yeah. And And then he puts this thing on it where he's like, and if you don't rest— we're going to kill you. <laughs> it <Right? laughs> sounds like a really heavy thing, but how important must it be for God to say, uh, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy, yeah. set it apart, uh, do no work. And if anybody violates this commandment, then they should be stoned to death. Yeah, um, He apparently meant for
0: that to be taken pretty seriously. Why do, you, why do you think he meant that to be taken so seriously? Like, What's the implication of if you don't keep this, you're going to be put to death? <clears throat> Why do you think that is?
1: Maybe, I mean, I think we, we know this already. If you uh, go to medical journals, uh, we're overworked. Yeah. We're stressed out. The things that kill us in our society um, are things like gluttony. That's one thing. Right. But another thing is just heart disease from stress and work. And we know that not getting enough sleep leads to more cancer. Yeah. Not letting the body uh, have its time down leads to heart disease and all kinds of issues so i think there is this maybe this one element where god is saying um you were made to be like me and i even i take a day off and if you don't line up with that it's going to kill you yeah it's it is a capital offense whether you're stoned to death or not not resting is going to come around on you yeah Um, so, you know, uh, part of this, you know, going back to that depravity idea, this discontent, I'm not even content with rest. God tells me to rest. I'm like, oh, I can't rest. <laughs> you
0: know, I've got too like, much work to God, do you for you. you don't understand right. what's
1: going on here,
0: Yeah.
1: um, you know, what, what would it be like if Christians were these groups of people going around going, Hey, listen, we believe in this God is restoring the image of God in us right now. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a low view of humanity. As a matter of fact, we have a super high view of humanity. We think you're awesome. And we more than that, we think God thinks you're awesome. And someone says, well, I'm pretty jacked up. Yes, we know this <laughs> because we experience it too. Uh, but God's not holding any of that against you. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore us together. And as a part of that, God really wants you to experience some rest. Yeah. And uh, and then what if we helped each other rest, Right. Instead of it being like this individual salvation where, Ben, you better figure out how you're going to rest. Right. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to rest, and we'll just carry that, and we'll get together and talk about how we're failing at resting. Yeah. What if it's like, hey, what does it look like to be a community of people that actually when someone says, hey, how's it going? Oh, man, I got a lot going on. Someone says, oh, man, you know, how can I help you not feel like you're always under it yeah. to take some time off? Yeah. Uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, it would be. A community of people centered on restoring the image of God in humanity. There's a really healthy balance of good works. Yeah. Doing good in the world and resting.
0: Yeah. And loosing people from their chains like we talked about in an earlier episode. Yeah.
1: Sign me up Ben I'm ready to be saved right now <laughs> Me too <laughs> And it's not it's it's not unrealistic it's not like hey everything's going to be perfect right now but it's you don't have to wait to experience yeah. this If the image of God and the glory of God is somehow representative of God's kingdom God's kingness Yeah Then if I let the image of God be restored in me and I'm a part of a community where that image of God is being restored in people. Then we're experiencing the kingdom of God. The boundary stones, those markers yeah. are being set and saying, this is God's territory. Yeah. Uh, and if you step into things here, you're going to have to, uh, if you mar this image, mm. God's going to take that as a personal affront. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I need to see that in myself when I look in the mirror. Right. If I mar this image, if I see something other than the image of God, I mean, that would be blasphemy, wouldn't it? Yeah. That somehow we're supposed to get ourselves around that. And I think that that is experiencing God's love for us too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It feels restful. Yeah. I feel more rested right now, Ben, (laughs) just talking about (laughs) it. Yeah. That's good. So, where do we go now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Mm. This is where we do the altar call. Yeah. Yeah. The weird me, part is, let I, me get my keyboard out. I, the key, yeah, Ben's going to play some music while I talk to you about. But I, joking about that, there is a part of me that wants to say, this is for us. Mm. This is something that God is offering us. If any of that sounds good, maybe it's because it is good. Yeah. And God is saying, "Hey, whatever job you're working at, are you doing good? Like, are you doing good things? Maybe your job is just." Who knows what your job is, you know, whether you're a lawyer somewhere or you're a stock clerk somewhere or whatever, like, are you going around doing good and setting people free from the works of the devil and experiencing this voice and power of the spirit in that thing? Yeah. Um, so you're doing the work of guarding and protecting creation and are you also resting in this? way that God wants you he really wants you to rest yeah and then then when you look in the mirror do you see the image of God in yourself in a way that says yeah I'm God I'm really valuable and God loves me um part of me feels like in my own self that I just need to I need to remind myself and I need people who will remind me that those things are true you know that I can live into it
0: Well, thanks again for listening today. We're so glad that you've joined us on the Out of Context podcast. And as always, if you would do us a favor and whatever platform you're listening to this on, if you could give it a like, if that's an option, leave a comment for us, a suggestion of maybe topics you'd like to hear in future episodes and just share it with your friends. You can share the link on social media. Uh, That just helps get the word out for more people to hear it. We're so glad that you've joined us today and uh, look forward to having you on the next episode.